I started running away from home when I was four, and when they would find me, I would have my little suitcase, my little flower power suitcase, and they would say, where are you going? And I would say, I'm going to go find my mother. So I started searching for my mother before I even knew what it meant. Who am I? 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 This is Who Am I Really? A podcast about adoptees that have located and connected with their biological family members. Hey, it's Damon, and my guest on the show today is Renee. She was born in the 60s, where her adoptive mother felt there were high expectations for what a family should look like and for her to be a mother. Renee shared that her upbringing wasn't a warm family environment at all. In her house, all of the caregiving things that parents do for their children, she had to do for herself. She was abused by her father, and that abusive behavior was passed down to their biological son. When Renee had reached her limit, She ran away from home to start a new life and to try to find her biological family. Renee's journey begins in Houston, Texas. She says her mother felt pressure to make her family meet societal norms, but she wasn't a very good mother at all. And her adoptive father was abusive. Her childhood had no love, no friends, and the children basically raised themselves. My adoptive parents tried to have a child of their own for about 10 years and they weren't able to so they adopted my older brother who's not related and then three years later adopted me because you had to have the boy and the girl and the boy had to be older and the girl you know um my adoptive mother was extremely rigid and rule bound and she i don't think she actually wanted to be a mother but society dictated that she had to be so that was in order to appear successful, that's what she needed to do. So, What makes you um, say that you didn't think she actually wanted to be a mother? She was a horrible mother. I mean, she, she just could not deal with the fact that there were people in that house who needed her care. Wow. That, um, can you give me an example of what you not, mean? Well, we fed ourselves out of jars and cans, and we ate cereal. We fed each other. No one cooked. We learned how to wash our own clothes before we started school. We had a step stool up to the washing machine because it was top loading at the time. Mm-hmm. And we learned how to wash our own clothes. We bathed ourselves, everything. We did everything ourselves. Wow. We didn't really have a mother. Mm. And she didn't work. She was a stay at home person. Oh, so there was no reason but- for her not to have the right. energy to she be the nurturing mother. I mean, wow. she just absolutely didn't want to. She didn't she didn't cuddle us. She didn't hug us. She didn't there was no I mean, we just didn't interact with her. Hmm. She was just kind of this presence in the house that you didn't really bother. And how were you with your father then? Your adoptive father? Uh, <laughs> well, he was a pedophile. Oh. And an abuser and uh, my older brother, he beat half to death a couple of times a week, and me, he beat to death a couple of times, half to death a couple of times a week, and 
um, he abused me sexually. He didn't abuse boys sexually. When I was 10, they finally did conceive and have a child with their own. He's a pedophile as well. He's a convicted pedophile as well. So their apparently son. Genetic. Yes. Is that right? My gosh. I'm so sorry um, for how you grew up. That sounds incredibly well, horrible. It was, I mean, I look back on it now, and yes, it is, but we didn't know any different at the time. Mm-hmm. We didn't really have friends because we were so ashamed. Mm-hmm. We didn't want people to come to the house. My adopted mother didn't clean either if we wanted to have someone over the house. Um, instinctually, we knew that we should clean the house up. But it, I mean, we were on our own, pretty much. Mm-hmm. We had a roof over our head, and there was... You know, there were canned foods and and lunch meat and cereal and things like that um, in the house. It's not like we were starving. It's just that if we wanted it done, we had to do it ourselves. Mm -hmm. What did that make you think about your adoption and your biological family? Like, when did it start to hit you that this was just not? Oh, I was I was I was an adult before it even occurred to me. I think after I have a child myself. Mm-hmm. I was 21 when I had my son, mm-hmm. and mothering him started to realize just how messed up my childhood had been. Mm-hmm. I mean, I always knew just from watching other families that um, when I had a baby, if I ever had a baby, because I, I definitely wasn't committed to that, there would be cuddling and hugging and reading and, you know, reading stories and and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I made myself some promises that I would do some things very differently. But um, you don't actually realize what all goes into parenting until you're a parent. And very true. that's when I really started to see just how little she had done. Yeah. I'll and she bet. was also anorexic. And she was, I mean, there were just, it was such a mess. Renee says her adoptive mother had a very traumatic childhood herself in war-torn Czechoslovakia. Their family had fled the country after fighting erupted in the skies above her home. Together, in a new country, Renee's adopted mother and her loving Czech grandmother were neighbors, and her grandmother's close proximity was her escape from the chaos. My grandma and grandpa lived right behind us, and they were like night and day from our family. And I spent a lot of time at their house because they lived directly behind us. There was a gate between the two yards and she was super affectionate and she would cook for me and she would watch TV with me sitting on her lap. And she was just awesome. Mm. And she saved my life. I mean, she made everything okay. So what I didn't get from them, I did get from my grandparents. Mm-hmm. Did you ever ask your grandmother why your mom was like that? Did I couldn't really. She didn't speak enough English. I see. I see. Did she ever notice um, the beatings, the markings? Did she ever show concern? Oh, yes. She would come running. Really? Yes, she would come running across the yard, this tiny little enormously fat lady, mm-hmm. you know, come waddling as fast as she could and scream at my adoptive father and what sounded like threat. <laughs> mm-hmm. I did learn to speak some Czech just to communicate with her, but yeah, I, yeah, she was definitely, she did what she could. Yeah, she sounds she like she provided some respite, and she 
She it did. sounds like the home that your mother would have grown up in with your grandmother would, was not at all exemplary of the type of home that you grew up in. I wonder what the disconnect was for well, her. Well, but, I mean, you have to understand, she grew up in Czechoslovakia during the war. Mm. You know, and they left Czechoslovakia ahead of Hitler. So, wow. who knows? Yeah. It's not a time she ever talked about. They had to leave their farm. There was an air battle above their farm. And a couple of planes were shot down, and there were body parts and pieces oh. all over their grapevines. She wouldn't eat grapes. Oh, my God. Um, so, you know, she was a kid. She was born in 29. So, And like I said, you know, she was just following the script. Mm-hmm. Um, she believed that this was the script that she had to follow in order to be a good person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in order to be a successful person and someone who could be admired in her community. So she did those things. Now, the fact that she wasn't cut out for those things should never occur to her, I don't think. You try to force yourself as a round peg into the square hole that that society tells you 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 need to be. Well, and she was very narcissistic as well. So what she needed and wanted was really all that was important. So it's not like she even questioned, should I be a mother? Well, of course she should be a mother. She was awesome. She held herself in high regard, so of course she was going to be a very high media. regard. Renee said she was about 12 years old when she realized her situation was not okay. She left home at about 15 years old because she just couldn't take it anymore. But Renee wasn't an adult, so she had to lie about her age to get by. Back in the 1970s, you could easily pass for being 18 because there were no background checks using online databases like there are today. So she was able to find housing and eventually get married. Back then, I managed to find an apartment in a big house that was owned by this older woman. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I think she knew I was lying about my age, but I think she knew that there was some kind of trouble. And she was very protective, and I lived there until I got married. Wow, that's great. And, um, and I worked in a bar. I first started out cocktail waitressing, and then I started bartending and I made good money and then I got a bunch of jobs modeling, working at the Dallas Apparel Mart, modeling jeans Mm -hmm. for uh, buyers, for department store buyers. And I was making really good money and doing really well. So when people find out that I left home at 15, they have these horrible visions and it wasn't like that at all. Mm -hmm. Um, I finished school. I went to school every day and I worked every night and that's great. I graduated from high school, and then I got married. About 19, I got pregnant just a few months after I got married. Mm-hmm. And we split up while I was pregnant, but, but that worked out for the best anyway. Mm-hmm. So and we so divorced your, stu- and, your son uh, stayed with you. Yes. I, I went back to Texas. When I married, I moved to Boston. And when I when we split, I moved back to Texas. And the first thing my adoptive mother said was, well, you'll have to put the baby up for adoption now that you don't have a husband anymore. And I was like, yeah, that could happen. By the time she reached adulthood, Renee had raised her son, and she had a daughter-in-law that she loved. So I figured it was at that point in her life when things had settled and she began her search. But I was very wrong. She had literally always wanted to search. At one point, when her search did launch in her adulthood, she got a false positive for a match with her biological mother. I started running away from home when I was four, and when they would find me, I would have my little suitcase, 
my little flower power suitcase and they would say, where are you going? And I would say, I'm going to go find my mother. So I started searching for my mother before I even knew what it meant. I I mean, they always told us we were adopted and they always told us, well, they always told me that my mother had been 15 and um, in a relationship with her high school boyfriend and that she had accidentally gotten pregnant and she was too young and um, blah, 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 which all turned out to be bullshit. Absolute bullshit. Really? I don't know if they made up the lie or if the adoption. But I always knew I would search. I mean, I started going to the adoption agency there in Houston when I was about, well, after I moved out on my own, I was about 15. And of course, they wouldn't tell me anything. But I would just show up there about once every six months and basically yell at them to tell me the truth. Really? And what did they say? Yeah. They never did. But when I turned 18, I started searching with the tools I had available, which back in those days, not much. Yeah, I was going to ask, you know, this is pre-internet days. So what what kinds of tools did you use to do your search? Well, I had a piece of paper with her name on it, and I thought that was her name. And so I signed up with Alma, and they actually matched me with the wrong person. Wow. So... For a short period of time, I thought I had found my natural mother, and she thought she had found her daughter, and then we realized that it was wrong. How, and how did you we figure that out? Alma dig- it just felt wrong. The story didn't match. The times didn't quite match. But eventually, we went back to Alma and said, we don't think this is right. Mm-hmm. And they figured out that no, it wasn't. So then I was back on the trail and I would look like I would go to the library and I would look through yearbooks and I would try to find her face. And I was always completely convinced that if I saw her face, I would know it. So I would pour through yearbooks from all over Houston and all over the surrounding area, looking for that name that I had found written on a piece of paper. It ended up not being her name at all. But, but, I mean, I really didn't have much else to go on. Yeah, and And it was hard for you not to know that that wasn't her name. I mean, you've got a piece of of paper in your hand. It seems like it's credible information. That was a lot of energy spent, unfortunately, in the wrong direction. What happened next? Well, finally, I, I just had no luck at all for decades. But I still kept doing what I had always done. And then when the Internet, when we were blessed with the Internet, I started using that and, you know, all of a sudden all these registries popped up and that was when I found out that I could go to the state of Texas and sign up with their registry. And I learned at that time, if I knew the name on my original birth certificate, I could have it. I could see it. They would give me a copy. And that's the law in Texas. If you know that the parental names on your birth certificate, you can have a copy of it. Mm. And so as I searched, first I tried the name I had, and that face said, nope, sorry, try again. So every time I would find a possible in a yearbook or in any kind of record, I would send it in. And it was 10 bucks a time. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and when I finally did send the right one in, which was literally a decade later, mm-hmm. they actually refunded all my $10 
Really? How much was it? And it was like, they didn't have to, and that was not the rule. That's but awesome. She sent me a note saying, congratulations, and they gave, sent me like a $380 check. Wow. <laughs> you had been gambling the whole time. Oh, oh my yeah. gosh. That's amazing. Oh, yeah. I was just like, this could be it. Let's give it a shot. That's incredible. But, That's amazing. I can't believe they did that. <laughs> wow. Kudos to the people who, who refunded your money. That's really, really yeah. amazing. Well, She's actually a big sweetie, and I think she just retired. But yeah, she was a big sweetie. But finally, I was able to. I was never able to get my non-ID info from the the adoption agency. They were supposed to provide me with it, but they said my whole file had been lost. Oh boy! So I said, "All right, well, the state is certain to have those records, so I'll petition the court." And I petitioned the court that finalized my adoption, and they agreed to give me a redacted file. Even with the redacted file from the court, Renee had enough information to figure out who her biological mother was. She had learned what town in Texas she had come from and learned that she was still alive. And ironically... Oddly enough, we had seen each other a million times. She married a couple of years after she had me and moved to Houston. And the favorite, her favorite place to go to happy hour with her work friends was the place where I attended bars. So no. we saw each other a thousand times. Oh my and I gosh. never knew. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Oh no. Not kidding. Oh my uh, gosh. That's unbelievable. You were serving your mom drinks? Oh my gosh. I didn't yeah, even know it. All those years. And I worked there for about ten years. Oh my um, gosh. Yeah. That must and have blown your mind she when she worked. said that. Yeah, it did. And the place where she worked was about a block and a half away from my apartment. And between the two was a really pretty little park. And I would go to that park and sit and sketch because I was always an artist. Mm -hmm. And I was in college at the time. I was putting myself through school. And she would go there at lunchtime to to walk. So we would see each other in the park, too. Oh, my Um, but, Gosh. and you know, all my life I had thought if I ever see her, I'll know her. But I'm like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You're looking at strangers' faces in yearbooks, and she's been walking past yeah. you for a decade. Oh my gosh. That yeah. is surreal. And sitting at my bar. And sitting at your bar. Oh my gosh. How crazy is that? But no, I never recognized her. Now, we don't look a lot alike. I look like my father. Interesting. I look just like my dad. Renee says her reunion with her biological mother was great for a while, but their relationship developed problems. Renee wanted more answers than she was getting, and the answers she did get were not true. She wanted to know about her father and secretly learned that she had a brother, but her biological mother wouldn't give her any information. It was great for a while. Yeah, it was really wonderful for a while, and she refused to be open about the fact that we had reunited, which, of course, always made me feel bad. We had this great relationship, but I still had to be a secret. And, you know, I was so used to my life being lies and secrets that I accepted it. And I shouldn't have. I should have stood up for Mm -hmm. myself and said, no, I'm really not willing to be your dirty little secret. Mm -hmm. But I I wanted that relationship. Yeah. How long did you maintain the secrecy? Almost six years. Mm -hmm. And... Then everything blew apart. I found out that I had asked her more than once, I'd say two or three times, are you sure I don't have any siblings? In other words, are you lying? 
about me being the only child who gave birth to, mm-hmm. but more tactfully. <laughs> um, because she lied a lot. I mean, lied about so many things and lied to so many people. You know, she was lying to her husband the whole time. And I would meet her husband. I would spend time at their house, and, and I would be introduced as her good friend from California. So she could lie without blinking an eye. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so when someone is willing to lie like that, you tend not to believe what they say. And she introduced me to one of my cousins, and one of my first cousins, her sister's daughter. And her sister's daughter told me that I had a brother. Mm. Born a year later. Oh. And give it away. And I confronted her. And she um, told me never to contact her again. She said never contact her again. Yes. Oh. She said, um, you're not allowed to look for him. You're not allowed to search for him. I refuse to talk to him. I don't want to meet him. I don't want to know about him. If you search for him, I will never forgive you. And I said, well, <laughs> he's my brother. Mm-hmm. And I don't care whether you want to know him or not. I want to know him and I will find him. Good for you. You can do you can do whatever you want. You know, it's up to you whether or not you have a relationship with him. I won't ever try to pressure you to have a relationship with anybody you don't want. But I'm going to find him. He's my brother. Mm-hmm. And that was the last time I talked to her. It doesn't make me sad that I don't talk to her anymore. I don't miss her. Mm-hmm. And I feel bad saying that. But it makes me sad that no one will tell me who my brother is. Mm-hmm. All this time, all my life, I've been alone with no family. Mm-hmm. And all this time, I had a brother. Yeah, a sibling out there that you could have leaned on. Or who knows what kind of relationship we would have had, but at least I could have tried. Do you it hold out? Really Angry, and when I get angry, I cry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's highly emotional. I, I totally get it. And take your time. I'm wondering so, though, do you hold out hope that he's work. also looking? He knows he's adopted. Yeah, sus- but so many guys don't look. You know, I I had this experience. You know, I I was able to locate my biological mother and my social worker, amazing woman who was very sweet. She said, women tend to search earlier than men do and men tend to search after they've had kids and really yeah that's what she told me so well he was born in 62 surely he would have had kids a long time ago it's possible but you know guys are kind of slower to do things than women are in general anyway so hold out hope his curiosity might get the best of him i mean i'm doing everything i can to find him i've gone yeah. through every registry i've contacted Everyone who might fit. Um, I've tested my DNA in, in all four labs. I've, mm-hmm. you know, I'm out there as much as I can be. I've paid to test three guys so far who we thought might be my brother, but nothing so far. Mm-hmm. He could be dead. I don't know. I don't know his birthday. I don't know. I don't even know where he was born. My cousin said she thought that my mother went to Dallas to have him because she didn't want to go back to the same 
agency. She was too ashamed. But I don't know who his father is. I don't. I know nothing. Yeah. I just know that she came home from relinquishing me and got pregnant within a month. Wow. So I don't know if she got pregnant with my father again. Yeah, that's a great question. I was just thinking the same um, thing. She did this, the same kind of thing with my father. When I asked her about my father, she said, um, I don't remember anything about him, and I wouldn't tell you anything about him if I did. Hmm. And so I DNA tested, and I was able to identify him through DNA matching oh, you were. with first and second cousins. But uh, he had passed away in 97. Renee says that she feels close to her paternal family, who are very welcoming and loving and were thrilled to death to learn that she was an addition to their family. This open acceptance is a new thing in her life, but she's learning to appreciate what it feels like to be loved by people outside of her immediate family. It was unexpected, and I actually have trouble dealing with it at times. I don't know how to handle it. I work on it. Yeah, <laughs> you finally find a place where you can belong, and now, you know, uh-huh. you're... Now that you've got it, it's hard to figure out what to do with it, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, that's good. Take your time. Um, because they're really super, like I have a half-brother on that side. Mm-hmm. Um, my half-sister is, she doesn't quite know what to do yet. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just leaving her alone and giving her time. My half-brother is, you know, bear hugs. <laughs> oh, my God. Great. Sister. And that is just as far for me as the... I don't know how to deal with you yet. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm just like, oh, hi. No, don't hug me. I don't know how to <laughs> <laughs> Is that hard for you? Do you have trouble with intimate affection from other people like that? You know, not with my super close family. Like with my husband, I'm really affectionate with my husband and my son. Mm-hmm. Um, so affectionate with my son that he has to peel me off of him sometimes. Mm-hmm. Calm down, Mom. But yeah, beyond those people, yeah, I have a little bit of trouble. Yeah, I can imagine. Well, your start was pretty rough in terms of what intimacy was. Yeah, and I never, I mean, there was never any affection when I was young. Never. And so it was just, I got really used to that not being, you know, a normal part of life. It's not like I had to learn how to be affectionate with my son. The minute he was born, I couldn't I couldn't keep my hands off him. <laughs> He's never gone without affection, and he's um, he's a really affectionate person, which is cool. That's great. The abuse stops there. She said her older adopted brother actively chose not to have children. He was afraid of the old adage that the abused become the abuser, and he didn't want to transfer his childhood trauma to his experience as a father. But in that same vein, her adopted parent's biological son did grow up to be an abuser and a molester, according to Renee. I asked Renee what she wished had gone differently along her journey. She was honest in answering that it's hard to speculate on how things might have gone differently in her life. But she's clear in her feeling that she and her biological father were probably a lot alike. You know, who knows if my natural mother would have been a good mother? Who knows who she would have been had she not had to have children she didn't want to have and give them away to strangers? That has to affect you. And at that period of time, when it was such a shameful, horrible thing, and her family guilted her and shamed her, the men, the women didn't. My grandmother, I guess, was a really sweet woman. I found out from her and from family members that I did 
two months in foster care so that they could make sure I was adoptable. She came and saw me. She and my grandmother, her mother, came and visited me three times, even though they told her not to hmm. before I was adopted. So there had to be some kind of bond there at the time. And all through our reunion, she was very loving. I mean, she lied about everything, and it was maddening. But she was with me. She was very loving. So I know that she had it in her, and I know that she might have been a good mother. She might have been a horrible mother. Yeah, it's impossible to know. And there's no way to know. And, you know, she grew up in and lived in and until she finally got married and moved away. This tiny, horrible little backwards hillbilly town in East Texas. And that's where I would have grown up. And Oh, man. I mean, I'm grateful to have grown up in Houston rather than Huntsville. Yeah. You'd be a different person, um, different life, different set of experiences. Yeah. And I have to say one thing. Sure. Even though I'll never talk to my mom again and my maternal family, I, I don't have any regrets. And I would go through everything I went through again to find them because I got so many questions answered and I'm so much more grounded. My whole life, I kind of felt like I was walking two feet off the earth, meeting my mother I connected with the ground. Yeah. And my life has been really different since that day. And, you know, even though it didn't go the way I wanted it to go, I still got what I needed. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that other adoptees who are searching really need to know that people always tell us, well, you can't have any expectations. Well, we're human beings. And so we do, that's but right. just because those expectations don't get met doesn't mean you won't get what you need. That's very well said. <laughs> and, you know, my aunt, my father's sister always tells me if Rick had known that he had a daughter, you would have never been adopted out. Never. You would have been in this family. You would have grown up in this family. And I think that's a really sweet thing to say. You've said it. She's not speaking for him, but she knows him well enough to know what he would have felt. But on that's the flip true. side of that, so what you're saying is that basically your biological mother, did she hide her pregnancy from him? Is that your impression? Yeah. Supposedly she never told him. She told me. She never told him. Who knows if that's true or not. She lied about everything. But my aunt said there is no way she told him. And he said, go get that baby away. Mm -hmm. There's no way. That yeah. did not happen. She would know her brother well um, enough to know that. I know for sure that he was a really good father, a really involved, really loving dad mm -hmm. um, to my half-siblings. Um, they can't say enough wonderful things about him. That's amazing. Well, there seems to be consensus. Uh, That's great. That's got to give you some um, solace. And he was a really cool guy. I mean, he was just like this amazing guy that I probably would have worshipped because he was a lot like me. He was a lot like the person I always was, and that was never respected or, or encouraged in my adoptive family, but probably would have been if I'd grown up with my dad. He loved music, and he loved dancing, and all the things that were really devalued in my adoptive family. Why do you always have your nose in a book? How can you stand listening to that? That's, that's just noise. How can you stand having that noise all the time? And, Interesting. So you were a lot like him. Yes. And I am a lot like my mother, too. There are definitely, there are definitely things that I inherited from her. But 
more like my father, I think. That's a good place to hold on. Yeah, it's nice. But, but knowing what traits but, he passed yeah. on to you must be special. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah, it is. It's like, I'm not weird. I'm not odd. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with me. I'm exactly who I was made to be and always was. That's right. You just had a whole lot of hard experiences getting there, I think. Well, Renee, thank you so much for your time this morning. I apologize for waking you up, but I'm glad you were able to. Oh, it's okay. It's okay. (laughs) And your story is so fascinating in so many ways. I I definitely hope that your sister is able to find her way to welcoming you into her. I think she will. I think she just needs time. Yeah, it does take Um, time. She's actually, just recently, she's actually started like, liking comments on Facebook and stuff, which is new. That's great. When you find your brother one day, I hope you'll find me. And oh, I'll know. find him. Good. I like that. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. Hey, it's me. Renee's journey started out very rough. Her home was a really hard place to be as the children were left to care for themselves. But in the face of violence and sexual abuse, Renee was able to find her respite in her grandmother's home, just out of the back fence of her own yard. Even though the language barrier meant they couldn't communicate well, a lot of times a grandmother knows how to give little ones all of the love they need. I was so fascinated to hear that Renee had been running away since she was four years old and finally executed her plan at 15. So smart of her to graduate high school while living independently and to find her way into steady income. But what an amazing coincidence that the very bar where Renee was bartender was the same bar that her biological mother frequented after work. They went to the same park at lunchtime for relaxation too. Amazing how two people's lives can seem to run on parallel tracks, but they don't even know their relation to one another. I feel badly for Renee that she had missed the chance to meet her biological father. You can hear her adoration for whom she thinks he might have been and how well she hopes they would have gotten along. It's heartwarming to know that his family is open and welcoming to her. And if you're like me, you're holding out hope that one day Renee will connect with her biological brother. I hope you'll find something in Renee's journey that inspires you, validates your feelings about wanting to search, or motivates you to have the strength along your journey to learn, who am I, really? This episode was edited by Sarah Fernandez. If you would like to share your story of locating and connecting with your biological family, visit whoamireallypodcast.com slash share. You can find the show on Facebook, or you can follow me on Twitter at WAI Really. <laughs>